Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, April 7th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. Now, I'm sitting inside of my studio today as I normally do when I record this podcast, and I got a bunch of jerseys hanging around me. And that's because they sort of ran out of room in the back. So I have these Milton Little League jerseys. I believe they're Little League. They say Milton National. All different colors. These are some sweet uniforms. And that's exactly what they do here at Beantown Athletics. If you need any type of uniform, whether it's for a league Even if it's not Little League, it could be a men's league. I tell you all the time, could be a softball league and not just that, but isn't it, it's fundraiser season, right? I don't know that there's an actual official season for fundraisers, but I do feel like you get more fundraisers around April, May, June, into the summer. If you're having any type of fundraiser, you need any type of t-shirt, they can get that done, customized design right here for you at Beantown Athletics, but as these Milton Little League jerseys stare me right in the face today, uh, I will say this. It looks like the boys in back here at Beantown have done a great job on these, so I think everybody in Milton Little League is going to be happy. I think they're Little League. I don't actually know. I just jumped into the studio, recorded the podcast, and I see these jerseys all over the place right in front of me. So, um, But uh, here's what I'll say. Whatever they are, they're beautiful jerseys. And that's exactly what they do here at Bean Town Athletics. Again, go to BeantownAthletics.com. Give them a call, 617-282-4181. A swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. So what do we got today? The Masters underway at Augusta National. Jordan Spieth looking for back-to-back green jackets. He is off to a great start. I think I'm, From what I'm seeing right now, now I have... The Golf Channel on in front of me. I don't have the Masters broadcasting on my computer. Like, they have a live stream today of day one at the Masters. I do not have that because I only have one laptop here right now. And, see, they have the Masters streaming in the back as they do all their screen printing and embroidery. So, they're watching it. I have two TVs here in the studio. I have the Golf Channel. They're giving us updates. There's a couple little highlights But I don't have the live stream because today I only have one computer in studio and it would just be too much to be running a live video stream through my computer while also using this computer, the same computer, to broadcast this podcast, to record this podcast. So that would be just too much stuff going on. I mean, my computer would probably be able to handle it. Like I have a fairly new MacBook Pro but it's just, it's not even worth, worth risking it. It's not worth risking it. So I, I got some updates and, and some highlights in front of me on the TV. But also, uh, you can look at the scoreboard. You can keep an eye on the scoreboard. I have that on ESPN.com right now. And what I see is that Jordan Spieth and Paul Casey are tied here at three under. The, well, I refresh it. Jordan Spieth now four under in the lead. Paul Casey at three under right behind him. They are through ten holes. 
on the day. So by the time you listen to this podcast, that's probably going to change. So the main point is Jordan Spieth off to a great start as he looks for back-to-back green jackets. So that's what we got going today, tomorrow, and all weekend long. Also tonight, we got a huge hockey game. Huge hockey game. This is a playoff game tonight at the TD Garden. As the Boston Bruins will host the Detroit Red Wings. Puck drop at 7 o'clock. Get in your seats early because this place needs to be rocking. The Bruins are no good at home this year. But if they're going to, you know, have a night in which they turn things around at home, this would be the night to do it. Because last night... The Detroit Red Wings ended up winning their game and defeating the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of 3-0. The Red Wings got an empty net goal late. It didn't even matter. Even if they didn't get that goal, they still would have won this game. Red Wings win. They now have 93 points as the third-place team in the Atlantic Division. The Bruins, if the playoffs began right now, the Bruins are on the outside looking in with 91 points. But you play in Detroit tonight. Sure, you would have liked to have seen Philadelphia win that game last night and go into this game with the same number of points as Detroit. You don't have that luxury. You didn't get that luck last night. Uh, Things did not go your way in that Detroit-Philly game. But it's not over. It's not over for the Bruins. It makes it a little bit more difficult, but it is not over. Now, let's look at the playoff picture because last night on NBC Sports Network, and and I, I won't lie, I was not watching most of this Detroit-Philly game because the Red Sox were on. The Celtics were hosting New Orleans. Celtics win that game. Uh, The Red Sox ended up losing. I'll get to both of those things before I close out the podcast. And I do have some strong words for Clay Buckholz today after he was just brutal early on in this one yesterday in Cleveland. Uh, uh, So I'll get to that. But just... You know, going back to the, what the Bruins have in front of them, last night after the Red Sox game, after the Celtics game, I turn on NBC Sports Network. You know, you see, you, I'm watching some of the highlights in the very end of this Detroit-Philly game. And after the game, they put up this graphic playoff picture, right? And they give you three teams, Detroit, Philly, and Boston. And... You know, they give the scenario, like it says next to Detroit and next to their logo, it says Detroit can clinch a playoff spot with a win of any kind tomorrow night, which is tonight. You know, this graphic was last night. So it said, basically, tonight, Detroit can clinch a playoff spot with a win of any kind, right? A regulation win, uh, an overtime win, a shootout win, doesn't matter. They get a W, Detroit clinches a playoff spot. Next to Philly, it says Philly can clinch a playoff spot with five points in their last three games. See, Detroit only has two games left. The Bruins only have two games left. Philly has three games left. And Philly has 91 points as well. And right now, Philly stands as the final team in the wildcard race. They are the last wildcard team, the second and the last wildcard team. Uh, So they have that going for them over the Bruins right now, even though they have the same number of points. Philly can clinch with five points in their last three games. And then it has the Bruins logo and their graphic. And it says, and again, keep in mind, this was last night. It says the Bruins cannot be eliminated tomorrow night against Detroit. So uh, no real playoff scenario because the Bruins don't just need to win. They need some help along the way. Now they can do their own job by beating Detroit tonight. But I mean, you know, the Bruins... And you'd like to see the Bruins win this one if they can win it in regulation, obviously. Uh, But 
if that does happen, you know, then the Bruins have to beat Ottawa. You know, Detroit, in their last game, uh, they will be playing the New York Rangers on Saturday as the Bruins, you know, they are playing the Ottawa Senators. But Detroit playing the Rangers, I guess you look at that and say, hey, the Rangers are still going to be playing for something. Because when you look at the standings, the Rangers right now with 99 points, they got two games left. Um, it's, you know, they, they're basically, the Rangers are playing to, to really stay in that third place spot because the Islanders are right behind them with two less points, 97 points. But also if you're New York Rangers, you want to get above Pittsburgh. And that still is mathematically possible, right? You're going to need some help from Pittsburgh as well, but you want that home ice advantage if you are going to play in that first round series. So the Rangers it seems we'll probably still be playing for something when they get to that game against Detroit after the Red Wings and Bruins play tonight. But if you don't want to look past this one, I don't blame you. This is a must win. The Bruins got to win tonight. Now, they can't be eliminated tonight, even if they don't win, because you look at Philly and say, well, they still have 91 points. They have three games left. And if you look at Philly's schedule for the wild card, uh, Philly plays Toronto tonight. Then they play against Pittsburgh on Saturday. As we mentioned, Pittsburgh's still playing for something. And then they play in Brooklyn against the Islanders on Sunday. And it looks like maybe the Islanders will still be playing for something, trying to move up into the divisional race in the Metropolitan and get out of the wild card. So it's a little hectic right now and a little crazy to look at the playoff picture. But the bottom line is this. Back here in Boston, as we look at this Bruins team, you got a must win tonight. You got to win this one. Have to win this one. And you know what? Even more specific, you got to win it in regulation to give yourself an even better shot. Now, as we mentioned, they need some help at the same time. They did not get that help last night. Uh, but I will have all eyes on this Bruins-Red Wings game tonight. It's a playoff game, and I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. So that's what we got going tonight. Um, the Celtics... They are next up in Mil... No, actually, not in Milwaukee. At home against Milwaukee tomorrow night, Friday night. The Celtics have four games left on the regular season schedule. Three of them are at home. Tomorrow night at home against Milwaukee. Then they go to Atlanta on Saturday night, which is going to be a huge game because when you look at the NBA standings, the Atlanta Hawks right now are the three seed in the East. And... The Boston Celtics are the fourth seed in the East, and the Celtics actually have the same exact record as Atlanta. The Celtics want that three seed, so you'll be able to, I guess you could say, in a sense, control your own destiny in that game and and try to knock the Hawks out of that three seed and get up there yourself. So you play at Atlanta Saturday, then you're back home for two against Charlotte and Miami to close out the season. And as I mentioned, the last couple weeks, Atlanta, Miami, Charlotte, those are the three teams, your final three games of the season. Those are the three teams that are all battling for that three seed in the East. The Celtics, they got a little scale last night from New Orleans. And and I don't know, maybe this was your typical, do you want to call it a, is it a trap game? I have no idea what it was, but the, I mean, New Orleans, they're missing their best player. You got this game at home. This should not, you should not have had a scare at all from this New Orleans team, but you did. You got one. The good thing is you ended up pulling it out late and pulling away and getting a 104 to 97 win. Now, the Celtics were also without Evan Turner last night. It's the C's third straight win. And uh, 
you know, you got some some interest, interesting stuff and interesting things that are being said about this Celtics team right now because Danny Ainge this morning on 98.5 The Sports Hub radio station here in Boston, he said, quote, I don't look at our team as a title contender, end quote. He said, I don't look at our team as a title contender. And while I do think that Danny Ainge is being somewhat realistic and trying to manage his expectations for a very exciting Celtics team that has won 46 games, and when it's all said and done, they could be a 48-49 win team this season, you know, sort of tickling a 50-win season there. But, um, you know, while he is being somewhat realistic and managing expectations for when you get into the playoffs— I do also think that there is part of what Danny Ainge is saying now, part of it is he's trying to get this team fired up. And why not? I mean, why not? We've seen how some of the players on the Celtics team have responded to criticism. We've seen how, especially someone like Isaiah Thomas, you know, people keep calling him the little guy, right? He, I, he, I get the sense that he doesn't really like that too much. Or, or um, Look, he's an all-star. He was an all-star this year. But he, he, heard, he had some criticism from some people in the media, and he responded to it. And he didn't like it. He responded to it not just verbally when he was asked about it, but also on the court. And, and Isaiah Thomas has been a major impact player for the Celtics team. A major impact player. Major. And uh, he, he seems like someone who gets fired up when somebody's talking shit or talking trash. And I'm not saying that Danny Ainge is talking shit or talking trash, but... I guarantee you there is a method to go along with some realistic expectations. There is a method to Danny Ainge's madness when he makes this comment because I think he knows that his team's going to see it. I think he knows how his team's going to respond. I think he wants this team on top of the fight that they continue to show because that's what, I mean, look, if there's anything that this team does, it's they fight till the, till the bitter end. And you kind of saw that last night, even on a night in which they didn't have Evan Turner and on a night in which they probably, you know, should have kept a, a big lead on New Orleans and closed this thing out maybe earlier than they did. But, hey, you know, New Orleans came back, came back, the Celtics kept fighting and ended up winning the game. They have fight. We know that. But uh, I, I think that Danny Ainge trying to add another aspect to this team, maybe a prove people wrong attitude. And, and maybe this is just the beginning of it. Because I guarantee you, you know, when the Celtics get into the playoffs, and if they do find themselves at some point, whether it's second round, whether it's third round, uh, going up against Cleveland, if they find themselves going up against the Cavaliers, guess what? Nobody is going to be picking the Celtics to win that series. You might get some some people here in this town that are going to get all crazy and emotional and, and see the Celtics team playing well in the playoffs, if that's the case. Because if they get to Cleveland, they'll be playing well because they're not playing Cleveland in the first round. So they'll either win one series or they'll, or maybe they had won two series if they have to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Bottom line is, if the Celtics meet up with the Cavaliers in the playoffs, it means the Celtics are playing and will be playing some pretty exciting basketball. And because of that, you might get some people in this town that would pick the Celtics to win. I mean, there were people in this town that picked the Celtics to beat Cleveland last year in the playoffs. And I, that's a laughable pick. For, and respectable people, too. Like, people whose opinions I respect on this Celtics team were picking the Celtics to beat Cleveland last night. 
excuse me, last year. And it just, that's, that was laughable. I mean, I was not doing that. And even this year, I'm not going to pick the Celtics to be Cleveland. As much as I love this Celtics team, I just don't see it happening. And for, so for the most part, you're going to see a lot of people picking against the Celtics. And maybe Danny Ainge is just trying to kickstart that prove people wrong attitude and get, letting, trying to get that to begin right now. Uh, so Danny Ainge said his piece. And also last night after the Celtics game and this win over New Orleans, the media went in and talked to Kendrick Perkins. Former Celtic Kendrick Perkins, you know, you watch these Celtics teams with the big three, Durant, Pierce, and Ray Allen. You know, Perk was part of those teams, and if you love those teams, you love Perk. You love his attitude, his feistiness, and a big dog down underneath the basket. Well, look, he's sort of a, a journeyman now, and we also found out last night Not only is he a journeyman, but he is somebody that Kevin Durant leans on for advice. Now, you might be asking yourself, advice on what? Like, what is Kevin Durant possibly asking Kendrick Perkins for advice on? And according to Kendrick Perkins, he has conversations, I think he said once a week, with Kevin Durant about Kevin Durant's upcoming free agency. Right? Oh, you didn't hear this story. Oh, let me tell you about it. (laughs) Because you know I was jacked up when I heard this. And you know you can sense it. You can see it from Perk. Uh, He loved playing with the Celtics team. He loved playing in this building. He loved playing in this city. I I think there is, you know, for a guy that's played here and was a part of those special teams, I I I think, you know, those guys loved loved it here. And I think they have nothing but good things to say about this organization and about this city and about the TD Garden to other players. And and with that thought in mind, when I see that Kevin Durant goes to Kendrick Perkins for advice on free agency, the first thing I think of is, well, I wonder if he's asking him about the Celtics. And you're probably asking yourself that now, too, when I bring this story up. So, So let me tell you what this story is all about. And this might be the most interesting part of the story is, Kendrick Perkins last night gets grilled about Kevin Durant and Durant's impending free agency and the fact that the Celtics are probably going to, you know, try to do everything they can to convince him to choose Boston. You know, Kendrick Perkins answered that question by saying, yeah, the Celtics and everybody else, who wouldn't want Kevin Durant? And he's right. He's right. You know, for all the times I sit here and tell you that I I, I don't think you're delusional, I don't think I'm delusional, uh... when we have the conversation of would Kevin Durant think about coming to Boston? And I said, yes, I think he would think about coming to Boston. Like, I think the Celtics have a chance. I don't think that's a delusional thought. But it is true that the Celtics are not going to be the only team that's going to go hot after Kevin Durant. I mean, you're going to have the whole league doing it. The whole league. But at the end of the day, it's Kevin Durant's decision. And from other stories that I've given you the last couple weeks and even the last month, and even on top of that, the way the Celtics are playing and the way they look right now, I, I don't think it's crazy to sit here and say that Kevin Durant is going to consider coming to Boston, and it might be one of maybe five teams that he does consider. Now, I'm picking that number. I'm throwing that number five against the wall, how many teams he's going to consider. But when Kevin Durant is getting advice and talking to Kendrick Perkins constantly about free agency, I think that's a great thing. 
Now, Kendrick Perkins, along with this advice and all these conversations that he has with Kevin Durant, what he told the media last night was that Kevin Durant made Kendrick Perkins sign a confidentiality agreement. Um, So basically, Perk says, hey, I have these conversations with Durant. I'm not just a friend. I'm basically an advisor for him now. And uh, with that said, this is a serious topic. This is a big name cat in this league. I I I signed a confidentiality agreement, which basically tells you I can't I can't say shit to you as to what teams we talk about and, you know, what places that that he asked me about, right? And that's what Kevin Durant does. He asks him about certain places. Here's, I'll give you a quote. This is from ESPN, from Kendrick Perkins. It says, quote, As a friend, I try not to talk to him too much about free agency. I always try to just want to talk to him about things outside of basketball. We talk about personal life and stuff like that. And I know he's getting this question every day on the hour and stuff like that, so I try not to bother him. But he did shoot some teams out there that he made me sign a confidentiality form, and I couldn't tell nobody. He's got a few teams that he will be looking at. End quote. That's Kendrick Perkins talking about Kevin Durant and free agency. Now, after that, reporters, of course, they went after Perk, and they try to get him to say things about Boston. And, well, they try to get the, they basically try to get Kendrick Perkins to talk about the Celtics and whether or not they have a shot to get Kevin Durant since he talks to Kevin Durant. And when they did try, here's what Kendrick Perkins said. He said, quote, you're trying to get me to really answer the question. I can't answer that. I want to, but I can't. I mean, I don't know. I do know, but I don't know. End quote. Now, you can read into that any which fucking way that you want, right? I'll tell you how I'm reading into it. And I'll, I mean, I think it's an obvious way to read into it. When Kendrick Perkins comes out and says, I talked to Kevin Durant about free agency and he threw a couple teams my way, but then I had to sign a confidentiality agreement so that, so that I can't talk about those teams. When he's grilled after that about the Celtics, was the Celtics one of those teams? Was he talking about Boston? When Perk answers that by saying, um, I can't answer that. I want to, but I can't. I mean, I don't know. Well, I do know, but I don't know. He's basically telling me that part of the confidentiality agreement was don't tell anyone that Kevin Durant was asking him about Boston. That's how I'm taking it. You consider and call me nuts all you want and that, you know, I'm, I'm a green teamer. I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. I, you know, I, I think Kevin Durant is coming to the Celtics and I'm nuts. You can say that all you want. But, but when a guy comes out and says he got to sign a confidentiality agreement and then you ask him about the Celtics, he says, oh, actually, you know, I can't talk about that. Well, why can't you? Why, why can't you talk about the confidentiality? Did, did, did he ask about Boston? Did he? Well, it sounds like he did if you can't talk about it. When you just told us you had to sign an agreement saying you can't talk about the teams that Durant was talking about. Is that a cons- maybe conspiracy theory? I, you could read into it whatever way you want. I'm just telling you that's the way I'm reading into it. That is. That's the way I'm reading into it. Wishful thinking? I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. But uh, 
you know, he, he also did say on this Kevin Durant matter, he said, quote, if the Thunder win it all, he can't leave Oklahoma City, in my opinion. But if they don't, it might be time for a change, end quote. So that's all coming from Perk. Basically says, if he wins in Oklahoma City, I'm going to advise him to, to stay there, you know, and continue to win there and be a legend there. If, if, he, if he doesn't win and there's some controversy there, because you watch Oklahoma City, they look like a team that, especially late in games in the fourth quarter, they have, they have their issues. OKC has their issues. And uh, Durant, if he wants to test free agency, go test free agency. But apparently, he's asking Perk about certain teams. And if you're asking Perk about certain teams, I, I assume you're asking him about, you know, teams that he played for. And I assume that if he asks him about the Celtics, Perk's probably giving a glowing recommendation about playing in Boston on top of that. Because then he goes on and praises the Celtics. Perk praises the Celtics, praises, you know, Jay Crowder praises Isaiah Thomas, says he loves the team, loves to fight, says this team reminds him of his, you know, the, the 08 team, the championship team, because it was a group of guys that, that wanted to play for each other. You know, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't want to mess up because they know the guy next to him is, is more than just a teammate. You know, he's family. And, and that's really what Perk was saying about this team. So he gave a lot of praise last night to the Celtics. And, um, when he comes out and says he signs a confidentiality agreement and can't talk about teams that him and Durant talk about as Perk advises him on free agency, and then he's pressed about the Celtics. Well, did you talk about the Celtics? He says, I can't talk about that? We know why. He signed an agreement. So, to me, I'm going to take that as if Durant was asking Perk about the Celtics. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Something crazy's happening this summer. Something crazy. That's why, I'm look- that's why we're looking into season tickets. I mean, get him now. Get him now. I'm gonna I'm gonna be trying. We'll so we'll uh we'll see what happens on that. But that's what was going on last night at the TD Garden, and I won't lie, I did not watch most of this Celtics game last night. I did not. That's because I was focused on the Boston Red Sox. The second game of this season, I told you on yesterday's podcast, I reacted to what happened on opening day, how great of a win that was. You know, we point out how great of a win it was. It's funny because I was on the radio that night, opening night, uh, two nights ago, Tuesday night, from 10 to midnight, WEI 93.7 FM. And yeah, you get some calls in which people say, oh, you take it, take a couple steps back. You know, don't be so optimistic. What do you, you know, you sound ridiculous, you, you know, you... You're overreacting to only one win. And there were a couple of people I hung up on and just there were a couple of people I flipped out on because I never said, I never handed the Red Sox a championship when I reacted to their opening day 6-2 to two win in Cleveland in which David Price struck out 10 guys in six innings in which you had a great performance from the bullpen and Tazawa, Yuihara, and even your new stud closer, Craig Kimbrell, showing you exactly what he has in his toolbox when he's going to step in the mound to close out games. You also got a home run from Mookie Betts, a home run from David Ortiz. You got some nice plays from Hanley Ramirez. I just, uh, all in all, I thought the opening day win was a great day for the Red Sox, and it's exactly how they drew it up, and it should be basically a reminder to us just how much you need that ace at the top of the rotation and and a confirmation, in fact, that you actually do have one now. 
you know, not that I needed confirmation, but some people did. And uh, I don't even think Price had his best stuff, and he still was great. So, I mean, it was a great win. I think you should be optimistic after that. But we, I also was very, very clear when I pointed out there are major question marks with the rest of this Red Sox rotation. Major question marks. And nobody's hiding from that. And, and nobody should be shocked today to have seen Clay Buckholtz last night in Cleveland throw up an absolute stinker on the mound, especially early on. Like, nobody be, should, should be surprised by that. It's funny because that happens last night, and if you didn't see it, the Red Sox lost to the Indians 7-6 in Cleveland. Clay Buckholtz got the stop for the Red Sox, turning our biggest fears into reality. Uh, the, the Sox ended up taking Buckholtz off the hook with a four-run sixth inning, but then Mike Napoli, uh, he made Tozawa pay for a hanging split for a solo home run in the seventh, just put it in the seats, and gave Cleveland a 7-6 lead and ultimately a 7-6 win. But Buckholz, he was terrible early on. Four innings, five earned runs, six hits, three walks, only four strikeouts, allowed one home run, and through 94 pitches, he was brutal. He was brutal. And he was so bad that it's funny. Today I'm driving in and I'm listening to the both radio stations. I'm listening to shows and... And, and it's like, it's like people are shocked. Like, oh my God, I can't, look at the rest of the rotation. Wait a minute. That's no surprise here. Even for someone like myself that was optimistic about this team and, and sounded optimistic about that opening day win, I'm still optimistic because it's a long season and you're going to get Eduardo Rodriguez back. And if you want an update on Eddie Rodriguez, by the way, happy birthday to Eddie Rodriguez. Turns 23 years old today. He'll throw a simulated game on Sunday, which should lead to a minor league rehab assignment uh, next week. And I don't know how long that's going to be. I mean, are we looking at late April? Are we looking at early May? Here's the deal. You're going to have to, let's say Eddie Rodriguez was going to pitch the full season and never got injured anyways. It would be his first full season. There would be some type of innings limit on him, I think, late in the year. So maybe you take care of that right now, right? You take care of it right now. You want to look at this? Eduardo Rodriguez, pitching situation, glass half full. Maybe that's how you look at it. That's how I'm going to look at it. Because I do think Eduardo Rodriguez, and I even heard Kurt Schilling say this yesterday or last night. He said he thinks Eduardo Rodriguez could be another David Price, and I agree. And in fact, Rodriguez throws harder than David Price. You just hope Rodriguez can fix the issues that he had last year in which he was tipping his pitches I think it's a, that's going to be a wait and see, you know, long term. To, we're going to need a full season uh, to to find out if that's been fixed. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. They say it's been fixed. We, we have to find out. But even with that, he's still got some nasty stuff, and he's only 23. And don't forget how highly touted this kid was with regards to all the prospects in baseball when you traded, made that trade uh, with the Orioles for Rodriguez. You know, I was hesitant with that trade, the Andrew Miller trade, because you see how good Andrew Miller is. I mean, he's nasty. But since they made it, and you see what you got, and when Rodriguez came up last year, he was a breath of fresh air when they threw him into the rotation. He was a stud right away. And he showed you the potential that he has. And again, he just turned 23 years old today. He's in diapers. So, I mean... That's a you should be very positive about that and when he gets back. Now, in the meantime, this team's looking for a number two starter outside of David Price. 
because, as I mentioned, we have major questions about everybody else who is not named David Price in this rotation. But, you know, that was, we've had this, this concern for a while. So seeing Clay Buckholtz just stink up the joint last night was no shock, was absolutely no shock. See, when I watch Buckholtz, like I watched him last night, for one thing jumps out. You go back to when Buckholtz, you see, Buckholtz had a very good beginning of the season last year till he got injured in July and we never saw him again. That seems to be the issue. Injuries, but also I think something that's coming along with all these injuries is a decrease in velocity. Like go back to 2013. This is a perfect example of the difference, the different Clay Buckholtz that we see now as to what we saw you know, the first half of the 2013 season. 2013, Red Sox win the World Series. Buckholtz came back very late in the season, but he just didn't have the same stuff. There wasn't wasn't the same pop in his pitches. There wasn't the same movement because there wasn't the same velocity. The first half of that 2013 season, before he got hurt, right before the All-Star break, Buckholtz was probably going to be your starter for the American League in the All-Star game. That's how good he was. But if you go back and watch some video of him, and, and you know, I just recall this because I was on NBC Sports Radio every day, and we talked about this every single morning. I was calling Clay Buckholtz the main event. Like, this all of a sudden became his team because he wasn't just a pitcher that had nasty movement and you know, was finally living up to some of the hype. You know, he had thrown the the no-hitter years before then. But he was throwing 93, 94, and the movement on the two-seam fastball. And to go along with that, what, 87-mile-per-hour changeup that just sort of, it looked, his changeup was down and away to lefties. It looked like, it looked similar to, to Koji's splitter, for crying out loud. That's how nasty Buckholz's stuff was. Then he got hurt. And we see the injuries continue to pile up on him. And, you know, I, I think the injuries are taking, his, taking their toll. They're taking their toll on the kid. Because he does not have the same stuff. And he does not have the same velocity. Now, his, his velocity increased a little bit yesterday as the game went on. But early on, it wasn't any good. And, in fact, when I watched Buckholz pitch last night, like, you, if you listen to me, you know I'm a big pitching guy. Like, you need pitching. I'm all about pitching. I love watching a starter, you know, with his craft, go to work and dominate. I love watching it. Because when, when a starter like that is dominating, has great stuff, and is in the zone, as a fan, even if you're watching from home, you know, and, and I guess when you're watching from home, because it is maybe a little tougher if you're watching up from the right field seats, uh, in standing room at, at Fenway. But, you know, when you're watching that type of pitch of pitch who's dominating, you know the game, you can sort of see the game plan playing out. Like, like you think you can, you know what the pitch is going to throw next. And even the hitter knows, has an idea. But he still can't hit it because the stuff is that good, right? Sometimes he's obviously fooled and, and you're calling for a certain pitch. But you know the game plan. Like, you get an idea and a sense of what that pitch is trying to do, Right? What's working for him on that day? Where a certain guy, where you want to throw to in a certain guy in a certain count? When Buckholtz has been pitching, like when he pitched last night, I feel like he was picking a pitch and he was just throwing it. He picked a pitch and he's just throwing it. Like, I could not understand what he was even trying to do. 
Is that a location issue? I know the broadcast team, uh, Dave O'Brien and Jerry Remy, they kept pointing that out, like his, his location wasn't there. All right, maybe. But he also didn't have great stuff. And maybe it's a combination of both things. And it's also a combination of, you know, combine all that with the fact that I think Buck Colts is just a head case. I do. I think he's a head case. A guy gets on base. I think he's thinking about it too much. I think he just, we know that from him. It, it, it's an issue. What's going on between the ears with, with Clay Buckholz. And, and when you lose, when you don't have the same stuff that you had maybe three or four years ago, well, that all factors in to the point where last night I'm watching him pitch and you can't feel comfortable because I have no idea what the game plan is. I don't even know what he's doing. Now, after the game, he did talk about his game plan. But there's something that he said that I just, I throw my hands up. I want to throw my computer off the desk through a fucking wall. And I just wish that there'd be somebody that would try to tell this kid, all right, you were no good last night. Um, the excuse making needs to stop right now. Needs to stop right now. Because if you were paying attention to what was going on with this Red Sox game, you know, it was in jeopardy last night because of the brutal weather in Cleveland. You know, the, the scheduling in the early weeks of April is for another time and another show. I really don't have the energy to get into weather talk and baseball scheduling ever, really ever. I mean, I, I just, I don't know that I want to go there. I think in a perfect world, we can all come up with crazy schedules that, that make more sense for Major League Baseball. I get it. But... Look, Mother Nature has not been kind to a couple different cities in April. And um, I think we just live with it and we move on. Because before you know it, it'll warm up and we'll get better weather. It's fine. We'll get over it. We'll get past it. Last night, the second game of the season between the Red Sox and the Indians, it was in jeopardy. They were possibly, you know, teasing the idea of a doubleheader today, which I'm glad is not happening. They got this one in last night, but there was a minor delay. When I say minor... I think 10 to 15 minutes. I've heard some people report 10. I've heard some people report 15. We'll meet in the middle and call it a 12-minute delay, all right? Call it a 12-minute delay. Fine. You want to get crazy? We'll call it a 13-minute delay. Now, 13-minute delay. Clay Buckholz, the idea that he would even bring that up in a post-game press conference with the media. Forget about with the media. Even if he brought it up to a man, to a teammate, like if I'm sitting next to him in the, in the clubhouse after the game and he's like venting about that 13-minute delay, I would look over at him and go, dude, shut the fuck up. Honestly, like shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You're the number two starter. You got the ball. What did the delay do to you? What did, the, what did that do to you? Go out and give us something. Like what were you even doing out there? I don't know what you were doing because I was standing in the, in the infield and I'm trying to watch you go to work and I don't even know what the game plan was. Like, were you just picking a pitch and just throwing it? Because that's not what we need out of you. Let's go. Bear down. Grind it out. 13-minute delay. What did that do to you? That's what I'd be saying to him if I was a teammate and he brought that up. Now, I, to be fair, I don't know that he brought it up to a teammate, but what I know is that he brought it up to the media. Let me give you the quote. Here's what Buck Colt said after last night's stinker that he threw in Cleveland. It says, quote, I felt pretty good. 
It was a little awkward with the game time delayed. But other than that, the first inning I felt pretty good with the way I had a couple guys on and got out of a couple jams. And just that first inning is what stands out. Take that away, and we have a lot better chance of winning. Well, that here's what I'll say to that. You know, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, right? It's like you come out and say, well, you know what? If I didn't give up four runs in the first inning, then my, the outcome of my game would have been a lot better. No shit, Clay. No shit. Like, what kind of comment is that? And on top of that, what if he throws out the weather delay? The 13-minute weather delay. Like, are you kidding me? This, this is just another example of how fragile this guy is. Fragile. That's the word to describe him. Band-Aid. That's what he is. I, 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 I look at Buckholtz. I've defended him. I mean, I defended this kid more than anyone in this town throughout the 2013 season, even through 2014. You know what? Last year. For like the first month and change, I defended this kid. I'm like, ah, oh, he's got good stuff. Let's give it a shot. See if this is the year he can go a full season. As we got closer to July, right, he was pitching well. But the Red Sox are in position where I'm looking at them going, eh, you know, I don't know that I see it this year. Um, if you could get a top prospect for Buckholtz with him pitching well, sending him to a team that needs a pitcher, and, and bringing in a pretty good prospect, I mean, that would that might be a good deal for the Red Sox. I said that. And literally, two weeks after I brought that up on the radio and on my podcast, he got hurt. And, and it makes you think, holy shit. Like, now it's to the point where it's not if he's going to get hurt, it's when he's going to get hurt. And if you're the Red Sox, especially this season, I'm telling you right now, if you get anything out of Clay Buckles, anything at all that's positive for an extended period of time, you have to do everything you can if you're Dave Dombrowski or Mike Hazen to entertain the idea of moving this kid, even if, if, even if it's for something that doesn't help your organization out right now. I mean, think about this. Maybe you parlay a couple moves. Maybe you really do get nuts. And you know, I've had conversations about the Red Sox pitching. I even said it during the, during the offseason. I love the Price move. I love the Kimbrel move. I love the fact that Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, can be the number two starter on this team. But there are a whole lot of other questions to the point where if I'm Dave Dombrowski and Mike Hazen this past offseason, I would be doing everything I could to also make a trade for another dominant start in pitcher. Now, it didn't happen. But you know the names. We all threw them out. Sonny Gray, Chris Sale, Jose Fernandez. There's others that are out there that maybe aren't as dominant as those guys, but are good enough where they could come in, step into this Red Sox rotation, and be better than Porcello, and be better than Joe Kelly, and be better than Stephen Wright, and be better than Clay Buckholtz. We all know they need more start and pitching. But at least when you get Price, it's a step in the right direction because it's a guy that you desperately need. You need an ace. You have that ace. You also have the elite dominant closer now in Craig Kimbrell. You know, you went out and got... The middle relief guy in Carson Smith. A lot of teams and GMs around the league said that that was a steal for the Red Sox. Now he's hurt right now. We're expecting him back. Fine. When he gets back, good. But if you want to just target this rotation and you're the Red Sox and you see what you're getting out of Buckholz and you hear the words coming out of his mouth talking about, I mean, honestly, the 15-minute weather delay should never even be brought up. 
And if he's asked about it, like, I don't even think he was asked about it. I think he just brought it up. He said, I felt pretty good. It was a little awkward with the game time delayed. Like, I don't even know if that, that's the question. But let's say you wanted to, you wanted to go with, all right, in fantasy to Buckholtz, he was asked about the, the weather delay. If you're Buckholtz, you know how you answer that question? If you are asked about it, you say, eh, you know what? It was only 15 minutes. It doesn't factor into the equation at all. It's a non-issue. It was a non-issue last night. It should be a non-issue moving forward. Um, it's nothing. That was nothing. Uh, I need to be ready to go. The weather delay has nothing to do with the outcome of this game and the fact that I let up four runs before you could even finish your first Bud Light. Right? I mean, honestly, that, that, and by the way, happy National Beer Day. Right? Today is National Beer Day. Happy National Beer Day. But, but that's the thing. He let up four runs in the first inning and he's essentially coming out and blaming it on the weather delay. The awkwardness. Of the weather delay, which was 15 minutes. It's a joke. So if you're the Red Sox, I think here's what you do. You have to hope that Buckholtz can string together some some solid outings, whether it's later this month, whether it's in the month of May, I mean, whether it's in June. And if he does that, what you then have to do is look at a team that needs pitching. You know, go to a National League team and say, hey, We'll take a prospect or two for Buckholz. Doesn't need to be your top prospect, but what you do is you get a couple prospects that maybe you think you can parlay in some type of deal with other prospects for a stud pitcher at the trade deadline. I mean, this is how you have to think. Maybe make a move to help make another move. I I don't think that's a dumb idea. You need to do it. Now, the question becomes, well, what's Buckholz's value? I get it. You're going to tell me there's no value there right now, and I'm with you. I agree with you. But if you get an opportunity in which maybe Buckholz creates some trade value for you at some point. I know it might be a long shot, but if you do get there and your prayers are answered, you got to jump all over it. You got to jump all over it and hope that you can get something for him. Uh, because it's just, you, you, can see, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel here with Clay Buckholz. You know what's happening. And um, I think what you saw last night was not awkwardness of a delay. I, all right, maybe you factor in weather somehow. But guess what? The weather was just as tough uh, on, on the pitches the day before. And it was just as tough on David Price. And guess what? He didn't have his best stuff, but he battled through. It looked like he had a game plan. It looked like he executed pretty well with 10 strikeouts, didn't it? Only allowing two runs in six innings. Getting out of a couple jams. Not with fly balls, not with ground balls, with strikeouts. Strikeouts. So... Buckholtz, the fact that he's talking about the weather delay and it's only 15 minutes is an embarrassment. A complete and utter embarrassment. But, um, you know, you, you need to figure that one out last night and he just couldn't do it. So what the Red Sox need to do moving forward is they need to, you know, they need to look around and, and, and see what's out there and hope and pray that Buckholtz can turn it around at some point give you some solid starts, and increase the trade value even a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And also hope that Eddie Rodriguez can get back very soon. Now, what you got on the mound tonight, the rubber match of this series, this three-game set in Cleveland, Joe Kelly for the Red Sox. I'll give you a number here that that maybe makes you more confident than 
than you are right now in Joe Kelly. Here, here's a stat. Joe Kelly, two career starts against the Indians. He is 1-0 with a 0.82 ERA. So Kelly's in a, in a very small sample size, two career starts. He's been very good against the Indians. On the other end, righty Danny Salazar. He throws hard. 185 innings last year, 195 strikeouts, had a 3.45 ERA. This is not going to be an easy game for the Red Sox in this one tonight. But, uh, you know, you look at last night and that sixth inning, that four-run sixth inning, and you look at the box score and, and look at Carrasco, whose stuff was definitely... Carrasco's stuff was not as good in innings four and five as it was maybe in the first two, first three innings. Like Carrasco came out last night and he was he was pretty pretty filthy early on. Mid-90s, 95, 96. The velocity went down a little bit as the game went on. And in that sixth inning, you saw back-to-back home runs from Ortiz, Hanley Ramirez, Hanley going the other way with it, which was nice. Uh, Jackie Bradley with the sack fly, did what he had to do there. You applaud him for that. And then on a Mookie Betts ground out to third, Brock Holt with some great base running, scores from third. And, you know, people I saw on Twitter knocking Uribe, the third baseman for the Indians, saying, oh, he's an idiot, he made the wrong play. Well, I think at that point, you're just looking to get the out. I understand that. And you look Holt back. He does. But there's nothing you can do. I don't, like, I don't think Uribe was going to be able to get Holt in a rundown. Holt was too smart to get in a rundown. He would have just ran back to third. And Uribe, what are you going to do? You're not going to get Holt out. you got to get in out. I'm going to praise Holt for the base running more than I'm going to knock Uribe for that one. Sure, if you're Cleveland, you would have rather had the run not score because that run that put the Red Sox up 6-5 to five when they were trailing 4-0 at one point. But Uribe, he got a sack fly in the bottom of the, the, you know, the next half inning in the 6th, the tie game at 6. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the Mike Napoli home run. That was just crushed off Tazawa. Tazawa left a splitter hanging, and that was it. That's all the Indians needed, and they get the 7-6 to six win over the Red Sox. Joe Kelly on the mound tonight against righty Danny Salazar. And uh, then you go to Toronto. Rick Porcello, Marcus Stroman. Tomorrow night, Friday night, 7 o'clock after that, it's going to be Stephen Wright on Saturday afternoon against R.A. Dickey, a matchup between two knuckleballers. And David Price back on the mound Sunday in Toronto, Sunday afternoon, Price versus Mako Estrada. So that's a look at the Red Sox game last night. It needs to be a whole lot better from Clay Buckholtz. And in fact, if it is that bad moving forward, I don't want to hear any more excuses. I certainly don't want to hear any excuses about weather delays that are only 15 minutes long. That's embarrassing. So Buckholtz needs to figure it out. And we'll, we'll just, I, look, you got to keep your fingers crossed with the rest of this rotation. We're all concerned about it, but you, let's, let's see how it plays out. If there's anything this Red Sox team has going for right now, you know, outside of David Price, it's that their offense looks to, to be on top of their game right now. Betts, Pedroia, uh, you know, Bogarts had a tough day yesterday, 0 for 4 again. He did have a great at-bat his first at-bat. He got a walk. Uh, he struck out twice. Couple bad breaking balls that he chased in the outside. He'll figure that out. I don't think it's any fluke that Bogots hit 320 last year. He'll figure it out. 
I still like him in that three spot in the batting order. Betts, Pedroia, Bogarts, Ortiz, Ramirez with a two for four night, and a home run. And, uh, hey, you saw Sandoval up last night. Sandoval pinch hit. Young pitch hit. Sandoval pinch hit. Uh, Sandoval missed a hit and run opportunity. Like, he swung and missed on a pitch. He's got to make contact on that uh, with, with Hanley Ramirez. He, Hanley was going to second, right? Sandoval missed that, but Sandoval also made a play at third. And I, I'm shocked that the Indians didn't review that play because he looked to be safe sliding into third. But Sandoval, uh, maybe he played it the right way. I don't know. I'm, I, you can tell him I'm really forcing the praise on Pablo Sandoval. Obviously, it's not there. He got in at bat last night in a pinch hit and roll and then moved to third. Uh, Brock Holt went from left field to third, back to left field. Swihart last night 0 for 3 uh, with a walk and a strikeout. Jackie Bradley 1 for 3 with an RBI on that sack fly. He also struck out. But the Red Sox, I like their batting order. I like what they're doing defensively. Their defense at some point is going to really help this pitching staff get out of some jams. Uh, but last night, Clay Buckholz was just too bad, too early for that to even matter. So I'll react to this Red Sox game. Uh, the game we got tonight, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. I am here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get this show on the Stitcher app. Also on TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. Also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I'm going to leave you with this as we talk baseball and look around Major League Baseball and some of the top storylines, no pun intended. Keep your eye on this kid from Colorado on the Rockies, Trevor Story. It's an amazing story in the early season. Again, no pun intended. Four home runs for Trevor Story. Also, seven RBIs. Uh, a couple other things to keep your eye out for. Robinson Cano is tearing it up early on here with Seattle. He also has four home runs in the early stages of this season. Cano also with seven RBI. The Yankees, Stalin Castro, seven RBI for him. And um, I, I gave you my... Major League Baseball predictions on Friday. And one of those predictions was I gave you the MVPs and the Cy Youngs in each league. My American League MVP was Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa was my American League MVP. This kid is only 21 years old. Um, he's, a, he's the shortstop for the Houston Astros. He's 6'4", 215 pounds, early stages of the season. I know it's very early. Hitting 556, three home runs, four RBI. What do you have, two home runs in a game last night against the Yankees? I tell you what, I had my father pick Correa with the sixth overall pick in his fantasy baseball draft, and the rankings didn't even have him sixth. I think they had him like eighth, ninth, or tenth. And I said, you got to take this kid while you can now because I think he's going to be the best player in baseball. And I know it's early, but so far, he's living up to the hype, or at least he's living up to my hype. I have him as American League MVP. I think that's the way he's going to play. I think the Astros team, they're going to the playoffs again. I have him as a wild card. Who knows what happens? If if he plays like the best player in the game, which I think he could all season long, you know, maybe they'll be better than a wild card. But Carlos Correa, keep an eye on him. He's going to have a special season, at least right now, uh, in the early stages, my AL MVP pick for Carlos Correa isn't that crazy, but I know we got a lot of games left to play, and all of those games that are Red Sox related, I'll break those down, and I will keep an eye 
on the top Major League Baseball storylines. The Bruins tonight, it's a playoff game. Again, get to the garden early and be loud because the Bruins are going to need you. As you know, they're not very good at home. I'll talk about this game tomorrow as well. I am out. See you.